Our world is dying, politicians are lying, and just when you feel like crying, sit and have a listen to people who have shit themselves. Hello there, I'm Evie. Hello, I'm Claudia, and we are the hosts of The Poodcast, a podcast where we basically just tell stories about people pooing themselves. I've done it. Evie, you done it? I have done that. Uh, The Foodcast is also a podcast that will focus on and discuss the issues surrounding bowel conditions and diseases such as IBS, IBD, Crohn's, colitis, celiac disease and many, many more. And this week our focus is going to be on gluten intolerances. And we have a special guest. (laughs) And it's going to be gluten intolerances, come on down. (laughs) I'm panicking. Why are you panicking, Claude? Come on. I'm panicking. I feel I feel like I'm the Scylla Black of like blind date, like and this week. (laughs) So this week we will be focusing on gluten intolerances and our lovely chatteroony guest Evie Killip will be talking about her gluten intolerance. So Evie, this week, how's your tum bin? How's your bum bin? Oh, it's been a bit of a roller coaster this week. Um, do you know what? Tum wise, it's been better than than recent weeks. That there have been a couple of oh, you know what's going on here. But in in general, it's been a bit of a steady eddy. The old tum. Now, again, bum wise, it's a different story. Yesterday, I went to a socially distanced picnic with our good friend Kate. And, you know, no, again, no public toilets are open. Again, for context listeners, they will be open from Thursday, but at the moment, no. So I went for a socially distanced picnic and it was very nice. And I had a couple of Diet Cokes, which, which is one of my favourite drinks, but they are, a, what was it called? Is it a diuretic? A diuretic? Yeah, where, where, when you drink them, it makes you more thirsty than actually drinking. So like okay. in the long run takes more water out of your body to drink a diet coke than you get in i did not know that it's like pringles <laughs> once you pop you just don't stop yeah i think that it's basically <laughs> it's just like pringles <laughs> but um it's i think it's something to do with if you drink a diet coke you'll need a wee more than normal because you actually need to use water in order to digest a diet coke look i'm not in the medical profession if anybody's got any information on that email in let us know Please email him at the moment this is the line we're going with so i had two diet cokes so i started to really need the toilet and there were no public public toilets anyway and kate needed the toilet as well so i said oh i found a good little spot here the other day we were sort of buried in the bushes um and i took a big picnic blanket with me as uh, a shield so we went over and i said oh it was just in here just in here and i was crouching down in not exactly the same place i thought it was a similar place but it was the 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 grass and the plants had kind of overgrown a bit more so there was a bit less of a sort of cozy little nook it was a more of a you know perch on top of some bushes and i took my pants down i was doing a wee and i got stung on the bottom by a stingy nettle and then the same thing happened to kate we both had got stung on the bum did you not see the stinging nettles when when you went in I know they were very sneaky because the at height sort of bum height was just what looked like normal leaves but it's when you crouch down I think those sort of leaves got compressed and up from the ashes the stingy nettle sort of came firing through and it was 
it wasn't like you know on the anus it was more it was you know kind of the top inside of your thigh yeah that's where it, I got stung and Kate got stung on the the buttock so you know what you should put on that is a bit of pseudocreme now what I should do Claudia <laughs> Is put a bit of pseudocreme on because I don't know if you know this, but I'm a bit of a fan of pseudocreme. You, <laughs> I bloody love pseudocreme. You could put it on your bum for um, but a nappy rash, or sometimes I don't know if you ever get this, but when I'm wearing very tight jeans and lacy knickers, if oh. the lacy knickers are dug into my sort of what my mum would say is the fleshy part of your thigh, which is basically all of it. But um, when it presses in, you can put the pseudocreme on like it's nappy rash and it will go in 30 minutes. I read I, once actually about the thigh area that if you get a bit sweaty down there, you put a bit of roll on deodorant in between really? on your thighs. If your thighs rub together when you walk, which mine definitely do, then it, Honestly, on a hot summer's day, it will save you from that aggy rash. Maybe we should just extend this podcast into just your general thighs and, and kind of upwards. But how's um, your bum now? Bum, well, this is, it's, it's getting better. Yesterday evening, it was really sore. But today, I'll be honest, I haven't actually noticed it today. So maybe it's gone. Um, but it was a bit of a tough time. What about your bum and tum? How's everything been? Yeah, but you know what, they've been, it's been all right this week, actually. Although I did have a little trip to A&E this week because I hurt my foot. And I think oh. the, the anxiety of that made my tum go a little bit, little bit funny. Um, what, what happened to your foot? <laughs> see, I see you asking me that, but I know you know, and you're just dobbing me into what is the most embarrassing injury. I um, I work in a primary school, and I was teaching a child how to use a skipping rope, um, and I got cocky. Um, it was like I was just showing him, a, you know, your standard forward skip, and then a, then a kid shouted out from the crowd, "Can you do a backward skip?" And I thought, sure, I haven't done this since I was thirteen, but I bet I still bloody can. So I did a backward skip. And then I remembered the old crisscross. Could you do the crisscross skip? Oh, where you cross over the skipping rope? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can do a crisscross. Well, I thought I could once do a crisscross. Probably wouldn't try it now, but... You never forget. It's like riding the bike. I did it, and I did it multiple yeah. times, and I could, I could hear the, like, the excitement from the other kids thinking, this is the coolest, coolest teaching assistant we've ever seen. And then by this point, actually, they had all lost interest and gone on to their other activities. And I believe I shouted the phrase, watch me travel. And I wanted to demonstrate how to travel forward using a skipping rope, you know, just moving whilst, whilst skipping. Um, and then my foot got caught in these, in these linen flares that I was wearing. And I absolutely stacked it and fell on, on, my, on my little kind of toe. And I broke a bone. In, in my foot while no one watched. At least you look good while you did it in the linen flares. I did look great. I, and now I look even better because I've got a ginormous space boot. Um, and I actually did, I sent a message to Evie earlier on in the week because um, I had an iced coffee on the way to work because it was so hot. And most of the time I could maybe have one a day. Um, and this one backfired, but I can't move anywhere very fast. 
because of this giant boot I am now wearing. So trying to essentially walk for 10 minutes, but it takes you more like 20 while your stomach is going absolutely mental is, is quite a terrifying experience. But I'm, I managed to say I, I made it. If there are any sort of pill-related emergencies, oh, you've, you've been severely disabled there, haven't you? I could write a book, mate. I could write 999, what's your poo problem? Permission to discuss condition. So, uh, as I said earlier, this week we will be talking about gluten intolerances. And Evie, I believe you have a gluten intolerance. Can you tell us a bit about what that is and how you were diagnosed with it? Yeah, absolutely. So gluten intolerance is probably better known as a gluten uh, sensitivity. Um, because a lot of the time gluten intolerances relate to uh, celiac disease and that can be something incredibly uh, you know life-changing in many ways and I just have a gluten sensitivity which means I live life with a gluten-free diet because uh, if I do eat gluten it can make me feel quite unwell I'll go into that uh, in a moment but I just want to make it very clear that it's not the same as, as celiac disease. Um, when I was being tested for celiac disease, I can't exactly remember what what it is, but in your blood test, if you get over a certain number I, of, I don't know what, I can't remember what they're called, but I think you have to get 50. If you get 50, you're celiac. And I was like 46. So I wasn't celiac, but I was kind of like definitely not a happy tum. Um, but yeah, I, I don't have celiac disease. I think in the future of the podcast we'll get somebody on who does have celiac disease and they can talk about it because um it is is a very very serious condition i have a gluten sensitivity so if i ate a baguette i would well have a very bad time a very swollen stomach really uncomfortable and that's that is kind of the extent of it whereas somebody with celiac disease they have to really work out what what restaurants they can and can't work in they can't cook with certain things um, and, you know, I'm very, very lucky in that that doesn't apply to me. So in a way, it's similar to celiac disease um, because with celiac disease, your immune system attacks your own tissues when you eat gluten. Uh, and gluten is a protein that's found in wheat products, uh, barley and rye, um, and it prevents you from taking in nutrients. If you think you've got a gluten sensitivity or um, celiac disease, then you're likely to be given a blood test. Uh, if that blood test comes back ne negative celiac disease, which is what mine did, you may then have a non-celiac gluten sensitivity. So the results are kind of the same in that you have to live your life by a gluten-free uh, diet, but the conditions are different. If you do have these gluten sensitivities, you are, I, but you've not been diagnosed with celiac disease, it's about six times more likely that you have a gluten sensitivity. It's six times more prevalent than celiac disease. And the difficult thing is as well is that with gluten sensitivities, we don't, the, the science isn't completely, you know, up to scratch. It's, we don't really know everything yet. Um, and there aren't really any genetic markers for uh, gluten, uh, gluten sensitivities. Whereas for celiac disease that are, you're more likely to have celiac disease if somebody else in your family has celiac disease. But that's not really the case for gluten sensitivity. I think most people as well will say, say things like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm definitely sensitive to gluten when they've eaten like a loaf of bread and it's like yeah that's not probably going to be good for anybody but you know but by and large too much gluten for anyone is 
not going to be the best thing. Our bodies find it quite difficult to, to digest things like that. Did you find there was obviously a kind of uh, almost a movement of particularly a lot of young women deciding that they wanted to have gluten-free diets? Um, and, you know, I certainly ever heard a lot of people in restaurants saying they were gluten-free when they potentially weren't. They thought it was a way of losing weight. Was that quite infuriating for you? Yeah, absolutely. It's such a good point. It's really infuriating because a lot of the time I just want to be like, look, bitch, eat your baguette because I would do anything to eat that. Like, don't think that just because you have gluten free bread, it's in any way healthier. It's just a different flour, you fucking idiot. What are you doing? Don't eat fucking brownie if you want to lose weight. Like, don't be like, I'll have the gluten free brownie, please. Um, <laughs> What's also infuriating is that I think a lot of people think like gluten sensitivity is made up because they go, oh, oh, I don't feel very well yet. Or because or they've eaten like a large pizza and garlic bread. It's like if I have one digestive biscuit, I could be on the toilet for four hours. Like, And oh, I'm not going to name this person. There is somebody I know who um, went to Pizza Express and went... I'll have a gluten-free beer, please. Uh, oh, yeah, just, I think gluten's not really, really agreeing with me, so I'm going to have a gluten-free beer. Yeah, and then can I have the, uh, the sloppy caseppi, but on a normal base? And it's like, it's not how it works. You can't just pick and choose and you want and think that you'll feel a bit, you know, less bloated. I was in a cafe once, and there was a massive queue, and the guy at the front went, um, yes, I need a vegan-free brownie. And the vegan. guy was like, you need a a vegan free brownie and this guy was like look mate i don't have time to mess around just get me a vegan free brownie and the people in the queue were just pissing themselves because this the waiter was just being hysterical and he was like all right sir i can assure you there are no vegans in this brownie he's like good thank you very much and like stormed out it was absolutely sensational people just love the idea of something being free in whatever it is they're ordering no yeah absolutely i think a lot of the time because of that, it then undermines people who, let's say that if they are vegan or you've got, you know, worse than what I've got, if you've got celiac disease, people think it's not a real thing because of the people that kind of jump on their Instagram, this is a vegan, sugar-free, carbohydrate, fun-free brownie. That then kind of undermines the entire sort of celiac community or the vegan community, you know, whatever it is. And like, it's fine if you think oh, you know, this time I'm going to try the gluten-free brownie. That's absolutely fine. But don't, I'll, I want to talk more about this, about self-diagnosing and how dangerous that is. And also when people, like, if I go around to somebody's house and they're serving me something like that's absolutely fine, something that's absolutely gluten-free and they, they put a lot of effort into it and they've texted me a number of times over the weeks to be like, can you eat this? Can you eat that? And it's really, really nice. But then it does become quite infuriating when they like hand me an orange and they're like, can you, sorry, I just don't know, like, can you eat this? I'm like, yes, of course. And then they get, they like rattle through their sort of sad little empty cupboard and then they're like, this is an olive, like, I'd, sorry, sorry, Evie, I don't know, like, like, could you have this? I'm like, I don't expect everyone to know my thing, like, off by heart, but it is so infuriating when you get over, and, or like, oh, sometimes I'm in a restaurant, and like, somebody else on my behalf is being like, really, really over-gorgeous, like, so we actually need a separate gluten-free menu for her, and then we need to go through everything, I'm like, oh, Evie, is this okay for you? And I'm like, please, just don't draw attention to it, like, you know that, that um, stereotype of a vegan, which is like, how do you know if somebody is a vegan, they'll tell you. Yes. Um, the opposite of that for gluten intolerance is I'm like, just don't, I just hopefully get away with that. I'll order a steak. No one will know. I just won't tell anybody. I want anyone to know. And you must have so many people like trying to help you be like, has anyone that's touched gluten touched this gluten free menu? Like everyone is trying to be, 
your biggest warrior. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And you know what, for so many people, celiac disease, that's probably a legitimate concern, you know, not going into restaurants where food with gluten is prepared. But there's that on the one hand, but then there's on the other hand, people like my mother who have grown up in a different generation where gluten sensitivities and celiac disease has not been kind of as prevalent as it is now. And that is a good thing that that you know, knowledge is is huge now, and and most restaurants cater happily to gluten free diets. But my mom, bearing in mind I'm her daughter, every single time I go over there, she's like, "Well, this morning I'm thinking we'll have eggs on toast." I'm like, "Well, neither of those things sit very well with me, and I definitely couldn't have the bread." Well, I've got I've got rye bread, and that should be fine. I think it's all these breads you get in the supermarket now. They just they just pump it full of gluten, so we're gonna have rye bread. I'm like, "Mum, my." I cannot eat that and she's like oh well I don't know I'm like mum it's so straightforward she also her career was in food and food preparations so I'm like come on Margaret what are you doing what's your career <laughs> oh Marge so what age um, were you did you self-diagnose or what age were you diagnosed yeah absolutely not self-diagnosis is an extremely dangerous thing thing to do so yeah I was diagnosed when I was 20 I think yeah I was at drama school I was in my second year and final year of drama school and I'd had real problems since maybe our third year of uni but again I just put that down to poor diet and alcohol but it was I look back and I don't know how I survived because every day I was having an episode every single day and at the time I was living in a house with four other girls so the five of us and there was one toilet and fortunately I was on a quite different schedule from everybody else because sort of the drama hours vary but it was really, really, really bad. And, and I just, I look back and I just think, what was I doing? I just got on with it. I was like, oh, yep, <laughs> another seven hour diarrhea, off we go. Like, I would just kind of get on with it. And I look back and I think that's absolutely insane. Um, the way in which I got diagnosed is they gave me a blood test first for celiac disease that came back. It was like a high score, but it wasn't celiac disease. And they said, oh, we think you probably do have um, a gluten sensitivity. But what you have to do now is to know for sure, you have to do a FODMAP diet. And that restricts all fermentable carbohydrates. So because my blood test was negative for um, celiac disease, the, the FODMAP diet can, when you reintroduce the foods, it will highlight to you what is giving you grief, basically. So you take everything right back. I think I was just having poached chicken. So just chicken poached in water and, and plain rice for three weeks. And that doesn't sound like very long, but when that's all you can eat, it was pretty miserable I think I cracked one day and had ready salted crisps but apart from that that was all I had <laughs> um, I love that was my crack as well just like ready salted crisps it's also it is quite hard because you then do have to reintroduce that gluten and I think you have to do it when when I had my blood test for celiac disease you have to have like quite a lot of gluten the night before so it's in your system so they can show whether it's you know affecting you or not and you basically have to poison yourself which is pretty horrible and I think what I had was a a dominoes and a few coronas so that was pretty nice um <laughs> but yeah do, don't self-diagnose because if you think you've got gluten sensitivities and don't just go oh well i'll go on a gluten-free diet then that time that's really dangerous because you could have celiac disease and if you have celiac disease you have to have that knowledge because a lot of the time you might not be able to go into restaurants where they have flour in the kitchen you might not be able to be around people and at some point you could have a reaction that is so serious your lips swell your tongue swells and your esophagus can swell and you can't breathe you know that, that you could you could literally die um so do not self-diagnose and also even if you don't think you're celiac disease but you think you've got a few sensitivities 
I'm absolutely the same. I think there are definitely other food intolerances that I do have, but go and do the FODMAP test because then you will find out. You won't just have to restrict yourself to, you know, gluten-free diet if you don't need to. There might, there may be loads of other things. Like a big, a big one is things like pulses, um, chickpeas, lentils, all those kind of things come, are very, very hard for any, any, you know, most people to, to digest. But if you, you do have a genuine tolerance to them, you need to know and you should not self-diagnose. The, the symptoms that I've been having, and I, I still have to this, you know, this day, if I just eat the wrong thing, sometimes I don't even know. I do think there are other things going on. I don't want to burden the NHS with my fucking stomach issues at the moment. S same was what you're saying, IBS, really, or the sexy ones. Diarrhea, stomach aches, bloating. A big one for me, mouth ulcers, because the reaction begins in your mouth. So the enzymes in your mouth are also allergic to to gluten and I get mouth ulcers all around the edge of my tongue and it is a fucking agony but also in a way they're quite good signposts because you get one and you're like oh I've eaten something that's making me not happy because I've got an ulcer and then it kind of gives you a couple of hours warning before you <laughs> need to go to the toilet um but that that's pretty horrible that that's one of the ones I, I like the least because it's also like quite anxiety inducing you're like oh Jesus there's a mouth ulcer <laughs> she's gonna blow <laughs> How do you treat a mouth ulcer? What do you do when you get one? Bronjel is pretty good. Mm, salt water washes, or sometimes I, I just leave it because they can be, sometimes you can get them with stress, can't you? They kind of flare up or if you're a bit run down. But my mouth ulcers, when I've had gluten or something that's not agreed with me, they tend to be shorter lived. They kind of tend to be a few hours and then they go down. Um, I suppose kind of as it travels through your body, but yeah, but things like Bongella and mouth washes, salt water washes, they can be quite painful, but they do work really well. The symptoms of gluten sensitivity can be things like headaches, fatigue, brain fog, uh, depression and anxiety. So that's good. Tiredness is quite a big one for me. When I was eating gluten, when I didn't know that it was poison, I would sort of sleep for a long time, wake up, feel not refreshed, and then feel unwell for about a week, like genuine fatigue for about a week. Sometimes that's how long it can it can take it's really really unpleasant and then one of them one of the symptoms is smelly feces <laughs> <laughs> like can you imagine going to the doctor being like excuse me uh my poo doesn't smell very good <laughs> also what constitutes smelly feet like you know these people that think their shit don't stink like what yeah. like what actually is smelly feces then we all have smelly feces i know and it's like such a funny funny like one, one of the checklists that they give you is like smelly feces like i think i thought oh god yeah i do have smelly feces i think everyone does <laughs> so yeah so they're the um they're the symptoms. Um, you can sort of suddenly develop them at any any point in your life, pretty pretty much. But you are more likely to if you are Caucasian um, and if you're sort of going through adolescence, sort of late adolescent to early adult. That's when you're most likely um, to start developing any kind of food intolerances. I think that that's quite similar to your experience of IBS. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, and what's the, the positives? Okay, let's think about the positives of which there are very few. <laughs> what is great is that if you have a gluten sensitivity and you do the FODMAP diet and you find out that's what you've got, then you know you have that knowledge to then make your own life much easier. All you have to do is just manage it with a gluten-free diet and the products for um, gluten-free foods at the moment are fantastic. There is 
almost everything that you can get in what I call full fat bitch gluten, um, you can get in, in, <laughs> in gluten free. And most of the brands are fantastic. There is one particular gluten free brand, uh, which is a bit of a villain. I won't name and shame, but some of their shit is fucking awful. In Europe, in fact, things are really, really good. But every, every food is labelled if it's gluten-free, even if it's not something, like things like butter would be, they put on it like, oh, this is gluten-free, even though it's kind of obvious. So obviously we're in lockdown at the minute and at the beginning of lockdown, there was, people were stockpiling like crazy and the shelves were empty. Oh. How was that for you, trying to find food that you actually need to have? That was infuriating, seeing all the pasta off the shelves gone. I mean, again, why anyone was doing that anyway is beyond me. But what was really infuriating was seeing people go, oh, okay, well, there's no normal pasta. I'll just, we'll get the gluten-free pasta. It's like people, not even me, people with celiac disease, people need these things. People need these products. You go and get some rice or find something else. You can have whatever you want. And it's, it's so infuriating because the rest of the year, you know, these things are sort of made for us, that they're made for a limited sort of amount of people in mind whatever percentage of the people buying gluten-free products, they cater for that. When people start then encroaching on things that you don't have a choice about eating, that was really infuriating. I went to a few supermarkets, I saw all the, <laughs> so funny though, all the gluten-free pasta apart from the gluten-free lasagna sheets. <laughs> like everyone thought, oh, I'm fucking making a lasagna, like forget it. <laughs> and I don't, I need to fact check this. Again, if you live in Scotland, email and let us know well let us know what it's like anyway because i'm quite fascinated with scotland but also celiac and uh, gluten-free wise i'm pretty sure you get prescriptions for bread you can go to the doctor and be like i'm gluten intolerant or whatever and they give you free bread and free pasta you get a little prescription they give you free bread and pasta and then here gluten-free bread is like four pounds a slice and you're it's just sometimes i don't buy gluten-free products because of how expensive it is that's incredible Maybe we should just move to Scotland. If you live in Scotland and you've got celiac disease or you've got gluten sensitivity and you get a prescription for bread or biscuits, any product, let us know, please. Is there any food that you wish there was a gluten-free version of that is yet to be developed that you just crave like crazy? Ooh, good question. What has not yet been done, which needs to be done, actually, sorry, it's been done in Hungary, not in the UK, Gluten-free McDonald's. I want a fucking chicken burger. I want a filler o fish. I want a big bitch Mac gluten-free. I want to go to McDonald's and I want to order everything I want off the menu. Um, and I also want to go to like Subway and or get a, a basically a baguette, crispy, crunchy baguette that tastes nice. <laughs> but most gluten-free bread, bread, I'll be honest, I don't like unless it's been toasted. So we're just calling out the fast food restaurants to up their gluten-free game so that you, after a dirty night out in Clapham Junction, can just have a bit of a better time, really. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. Because at the moment, my only choice in McDonald's is, is the chips, which is fine. They're nice chips. But what I'm after, Claudia, is a chicken burger. I'm going to get that for you. Somehow, some way, I'm going to get you a chicken burger. It's the last thing I've bloody do oh thanks so much i can't fit in my jeans at the moment so i don't know if i do deserve it but let's let's carry on let's let's just have it anyway so what does like a typical day in kind of in the diet of evie like foods that do suit your gluten-free diet really well um well i think 
I don't seem to have any problem with any vegetable, which is really annoying. But vegetables just go really down well, down really well. They make me feel good. Um, I, I, every time I, I have a meal with like really, really good vegetables, a lot of the time I feel quite full and I enjoy them and I like them and I feel safe with them. There's so much choice sort of cereal wise. There's loads of good for breakfasts. Most granolas are gluten free. Porridge is a really good thing, slow release. Then lunch wise would be like soups and things like that. Lots of salads. And I do eat quite a lot of dairy, a lot of halloumi and feta. Um, tuna mayo salad hello yes please i would eat that the, the big the big sad thing for me lack of sandwiches because i just don't like gluten-free bread unless it's toasted i can't like take a little packed lunch of sandwiches because you get there and you take it out and the sandwich falls apart in your hands you don't need it's, that it's just really sad you're like oh great i've got a sandwich and you open the top one and there are like three crumbs in there and you're like how did that happen it's like oh yeah my gluten-free sandwich just fell away and have you ever really taken the piss and eaten something that you know you shouldn't and but you know you got maybe like a day off work the next day so you're like I'm just gonna take the hit? Y- yes would be the answer to that uh, which is stupid because I always do it and then a week later I still feel ill I'm like well that was a stupid thing to do. Obviously the profiteroles that you brought around biggest I'm one. So I really sorry I'm so okay. sorry about that. And when you're in these situations, is there anything that's like your go-to to help you? I know like we spoke last week about me having peppermint tea. Do you have things like that that, that will provide you with some relief? Yeah, absolutely. It's normally traveling when you're like, I don't have time to go to the toilet. I can't access the toilet. Just things in the short run, like Imodium can be um, an absolute godsend. Even if just psychologically you've had Imodium, sometimes you can feel better. Cold flannel on the back of my neck seems to really, really just calm me down. Makes you feel a bit less sweaty. Lemon and water for some reason, I just find quite calming quite soothing I feel like something I'm taking in is is not going to sort of cause me any grief citrus flavors in my mouth a lot of the time I don't know if it's anything to do with the ulcers but sometimes citrusy tastes can keep my mouth feeling quite fresh without having to have anything too heavy fresh air going out for a, a, a walk or sitting by an open open window things things like that um and just being yeah being around people that are loving and support you understand have sympathy for you um, my all, my boyfriend and all of my friends are fully understanding and, and are patient as well because a lot of the time I think the concern is that you're taking a long time in the toilet or we can't leave yet or we can't get back in the car because you're in a service station or whatever it is just by being people who are, are patient and fundamentally kind that can make a big difference because even if the situation is something you can't change as you're having a, a reaction to something that either you don't know what it is or you've made a mistake being around people that understand that that kind of takes off all the worry. You're like, okay, well, that's the worst of it then is something that I've lived through before is sitting on a toilet or feeling uncomfortable for a few hours. So my advice is go out with somebody or be friends with somebody that just doesn't mind a bit of poo. (laughs) That would be the bottom line. And have you ever been in a situation where you're surrounded by people that you don't necessarily want to tell about your condition and something's gone wrong or that leads you to embarrassment? Yes, and it's almost always in like a professional environment because even if you're friends with people that you work with, sometimes you just don't really want to share that. Or if you're not in the mood, or if you're in a work day, a classic one was um, uh, was recently working around um, acting work. Obviously, at the moment, a lot of not acting. I do a lot of childcare, like yourself, and no public toilets. And I was taking a baby out for a walk in the park, and I, I was taking it for a walk. 
and I didn't feel right before I got to work. And then when I got to work, I th- and, and also the parents were working from home and I was going to the toilet with the baby a lot. And I thought, <laughs> I think I'm an absolute weirdo because I've been literally 10 times in the first 45 minutes of work. <laughs> they must have been upstairs being like, what are you doing? But I went for a walk with this baby around the park and it was about 10 minutes into the walk. I'd normally be out the house for an hour and a half with her, sometimes have lunch in the, pic- like in the park for a picnic, all these kinds of things. And I'm like, I'm just going to have to go straight back to the house because I'm going to shit myself. And like the poor little baby was just sat in the pram, like looking like a little splodge, like, where are we going to now? And I'm like, we're going back to poo. And I went back in the house. The mum came running downstairs and she was like, is everything okay? You've only been gone 15 minutes. And I couldn't be like, I came back because I need to go for a poo. So I was like, yes, everything fine. Um, we just, it was a bit, a bit hot. And she's like, oh, sorry. Yeah, you can sit in the shade in the garden or something so I then had to keep up the pretense of being in the garden for a further 20 minutes in the house because I didn't want to run straight to the toilet because I just didn't want to say which is silly she, she would have been fine with it but just in that moment I just because she came running down the stairs from which she was like oh my god is everything okay and I was like yes it's fine <laughs> could you yeah. have just borrowed a nappy off the little splodge and just like blamed <laughs> it on the kid yeah I mean sometimes it feels super and when I look after the kids, I'm like, God, you just get to shit yourself. That's great for you. It's such a better time to be alive, really. Just do whatever you want. No one's judging you for your shits. And if your shits do smell weird, you've always got someone like, oh, you little bugger, as opposed to what's wrong with you, let's lock you away. Stop what you're doing. Let's talk about pooing. So this is the wonderful part of the show where we discuss turd tales. And last week we heard about my terrible time in Paris. And this week, Evie, do you have a turd tale for us that has occurred in your lifetime due to your condition? Oh, I absolutely do. As promised. I've actually not really written mine out as a story. I'm just going to... I'm just going to tell you if that's okay. It just feels a little bit less um, sordid that way. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was my final incident before being diagnosed as gluten sensitive. So this is, this is the the sort of last hurrah, last hurrah. Yeah. The last hurrah into, um, out of, should I say a full fat gluten world. So this is the Christmas market story. So I was, at drama school and it was around Christmas and I went to drama, a drama school in Ealing and I had been having a bit of upset tum- tummies and I was thinking oh I need to go to the doctor about this and they set up this lovely Christmas market in sort of the little shopping square in Ealing and they had um you know mulled wine mulled cider um I think there was even a little grotto there and it was all really lovely and I went straight after drama school and I was absolutely starving because I think we'd had something stupid like double movement double physical theatre double stage combat something stupid I was absolutely Hank Marvin and I could just see across the square these little little Christmas hot dogs winking at me and they were in this lovely sort of brioche long finger bun a sausage and then like onions on top just also t- to let you know onions are like, again up there with some of the worst things that you can eat for your stomach and I thought yeah I'm gonna have I think I had two two sausages in one bun onions ketchup mayo a lot I was eating it and I, it was absolutely delicious it was so good and it was quite expensive but it, I thought this is a treat this is a treat for me so I I ate this hot dog and it was delicious enjoying the Christmas market had a bit of mulled cider and life was good I then didn't started to feel not good just the crashes I don't know if you get so well if something starts to crash it's like these big waves and it's like you could be stood a few meters away from me and I think you'd probably have heard them 
And at the time, I lived about a 20-minute walk from there in this very bizarre house share. I have no idea how many people lived in, in that house. There seemed to be doors everywhere. It was like this Alice in Wonderland house where people I'd never met, I'd lived there like months and somebody would just come out of the room and I'd never have seen them before. And there's also a guy in the room next to me called Sergio. And I'd often wake up at about 4 a.m. because of the sounds of explosive diarrhea in the toilet next to me, explosive. And it was always Sergio, but it would actively wake me up. So it's not like I'd wake up in the morning and then hear it. I'd wake up like, you know, you get something like dream and you're, you're dreaming about something and it's like, you know, maybe a mountain's falling down in your dream and you wake up as actually just Sergio's fucking diarrhea again. And the, the flat, the house was disgusting. The fridge didn't work. So you'd open it and it'd just be moldy food in there that had been there. I mean, it didn't work when I arrived and it didn't work when I left. I was there six months. It was disgusting. It was a stopgap for me, just like when I found somewhere else to live in London at drama school. So I used to call this house Grotto Towers. So I thought, oh, I'm going to need to start walking back to Grotto Towers because I don't feel good. Walking home thinking, I am not going to last this journey. I'm going to poo myself. This is absolutely horrific. And I was walking so slowly because I didn't want anything to come out, but I was really trying to get there. It was almost like I was climbing a mountain and I was, I was pumping my arms just to try and make sure my legs moved less so it didn't sort of jolt anything down there I could have just gone there and then you know when you're just like if I just sat down I just also didn't care oh god I can't believe I'm sharing this story I turned the corner of our road and it's almost psychological when you can see the finish line it gets worse I could see the house all I had to do was get inside and get upstairs to that toilet and I was walking and I was maybe two doors away from our house. And you know, and like when women have gone into labor and they describe having the urge to push, it was that, except it was my bottom. And, and I just, I was maybe two gates away from my house and I could, I could not hold it anymore. And it wasn't like I shit myself in the sense of it just came out. I made, I'm not gonna lie to anyone. I made the choice, but I couldn't not. I had the urge to push and I just went with it. <laughs> And I was wearing these wonderful, well, they weren't wonderful, but I love them. These great tracksuit bottoms. They were black. We had to wear black at drama school, but they were black and they were kind of like toweling. They were really warm and they were elasticated at the bottom. And obviously you and I both under five foot, they would stay perfectly on my ankle and they were lovely. And they were age 11 to 12 and I was wearing them, but I just couldn't deal with the aftermath. I literally, I barely broke step. So the accident happened. I just, I was wearing also a long, um, a long navy blue duffel coat that came to my knees. I took everything off, off the bottom half, lifted up the wheelie bin, popped them in, closed the wheelie bin and just carried on, went up the path into the house. Obviously, my legs have not got away unscathed. So I'm in trainers and then there's, the, the, there's remnants, there's evidence on my legs. So I opened the front door and I'm like, tr I'm like, I, all I need to do is get upstairs into that toilet. And then fucking Sergio's coming down the stairs, isn't he? And he's like, oh, hey, Evie, how are you going? Oh, Evie, where have you been? And I literally just looked at him and I went, um, I've been cross-country running. 
because I had poo all down my legs and I think I'm just trying to pass it off as like cow poo so I was like um, I've just been cross-country running I just got upstairs I got upstairs there's one toilet in a house of potentially up to 30 people the fucking toilet doors locked and it's not even Sergio this time but there was a separate toilet to bathroom so I just went straight in the bathroom took everything off and I just hosed myself down with the shower in also a disgusting bathroom that I was making even more disgusting and the, and the real kicker is that where the shop where I bought my tracksuit buttons from is now defunct and was then and I couldn't even replace them and that is the Christmas market hot dog sort of story sausage story I do wonder whether now the phrase I'm going cross-country running is just going to become like you know you asked me last week like what do you say you know if you need to go for a big poo in front of your boyfriend I think I'm now just going to say sure I just gotta go cross-country running mate I've got to go for a cross cross country run. Excuse me. <laughs> that was my turd tale. Um, I believe we've had some more turd tales sent in. And Claudia, do you have the turd tale of the week? Yes, I do, and it is a fantastic story sent in to us this week. Um, they've entitled it "The Freshers' Poop," which is oh. as glamorous as I hoped it would be. Right, let's have let's have a butcher's, shall we? So it was freshers week of my second year at university and after a torturously boring summer it was probably a given that the first few days and weeks of second year would be a veritable feast of ill-advised liver bashing. As a new committee member of one of the university sports clubs I was obliged to attend three taster sessions on campus whereby prospective new members could meet existing players, conduct some training and begin the process of indoctrination into the club in question. The sessions were scheduled from 9am to 11am on Monday, Wednesday and Friday and each taster was to proceed a stint in the student union bar whereby potential recruits would be invited to attend welcoming drinks. The Monday sessions came and went and as expected a significant number of prospective players attended with a group of eight or nine joining their second and third year peers for an early session of drinking in the autumn sun. Beers were flowing at a frankly ridiculous rate and questionable stories of suspected endeavours from over the summer holidays were shared with one another. The escalating situation was not helped by a new queuing system at the bar with queues snaking back into corridors with lager stockpiling becoming the order of the day in order to bypass the 45 minute queue for a drink. It was after about four hours where that week's first bout of Carlsberg stomach struck with spectacular results. The club president, not known for being mild of manner or to turn down a drink, suddenly deserted the festivities for what we soon realised was more than just a simple toilet break. His departure was followed by a new social secretary deserting the scene and with a few first years being pushed into taxis, barely able to walk on their first day, official day of university, the group was starting to thin. Both the departees soon returned and the state of affairs was so much better than any of us could have hoped. The club president, eight pints down, had experienced a sudden rumbling and felt a more forensic examination was required. Indeed, the inspection had revealed a considerable accident somewhere between a large shart and medium log on the Schichter scale to the extent that a simple binning of boxer shirts shorts would not suffice due to the collateral damage caused to all clothing beneath the waist. Enter our social sec who had received this entail via text ahead of the, ahead of the rest of the group and tasked with the covert operation of locating some baby wipes and a new pair of trousers in the vicinity. When both emerged, the situation could not have been more readily welcomed, with the only pair of suitable spare trousers available on campus, a delightful set of velour cheerleading sweatpants cut tight around the thighs and a gentle flaring towards the ankle. 
as was to be discovered when the wearer of the new trackies went to the bar, the trousers were also wonderfully emblazoned with the word juicy across the buttocks. The incident only really served to spark renewed life into a drinking session that had previously been waning, and after several more hours of consumption in the sun, the juicy, pooey backside of our club president could be found cutting shapes on a local nightclub dance floor, the only clue to the destruction of earlier that day, a pair of ruined Levi's and Calvin boxes neatly tucked behind a student union toilet, waiting menacingly for the next unsuspecting visitor. <laughs> disgusting but fantastic thank you so much <laughs> what, a, what a great story and, and you know really I think picked up the baton from my previous story about my trousers sort of again yeah, another trouser centric story I absolutely love it yeah would Bang. you have loved a pair of new juicy trackies Evie would they have suited you I actually back in the day in about 2007 I had a juicy couture navy blue velvet tracksuit which had juicy written across the bum now i think about it i think i was about 13, 14 at the time it's probably not okay to have juicy written on the back of a 14 year old's ass is it but i find this with a lot of girls clothes you know there's always some sort of like you're either a princess or you're juicy or you know you're a skater girl because you've <laughs> got to let people know that you don't you defy the gender stereotypes and you use sporting equipment. Every, every top you find, you're like, oh, this is a really nice jumper. I like the look at this. And you pull it off the, t- the fucking rack and at the, on the front it has like good girl on it. And then on the back it's got gone bad on the back or something. You're like, oh, great. I'm not going to buy this. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for listening to the Poocast today. If you have anything you want to write into us about or perhaps share your turtle, then please do email us email us on the podcast official at gmail.com and it's bye from me everybody thanks so much for listening take care bye bye bye